Welcome back to Clydesdale Media, where we bring you the best from the world of CrossFit. Podcasts, news, special interest, health, fitness. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button. Hit the notifier so you're the first to know when we have new episodes. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good Thursday morning, everyone, everybody. Welcome to the Clydesdale Media Podcast. We are live at 8 a.m. here on the East Coast of the United States, but we have gone international. Uh, I have with me Carl, Phil, and Leslie. And what we're here to talk about is our new adaptive channel. I'm so excited about that. But what I want to do is I want to go around the horn and have each person introduce themselves. And we will start with Leslie. Hi, uh, I'm Leslie. I work with a company called Wheelwad. Um, we've been running a couple of the adaptive competitions here in the States. Um, we have the Wheelwad Games at the end of the year that um, I guess is kind of the goal for the adaptive athletes now. Phil? Yeah, I'm uh, Phil Mansfield. Um, very, very new to the adaptive game and feeling very much out of my depth in the in the room with these two guys. Um, but have had the pleasure of taking on my first adaptive athlete this year um, and had the experience of coming over to the US there with Leslie and her team to experience Will Wad. Had a, an incredible time and... Um, I think the right word is they've been gripped the, by the passion of the adaptive community and um, yeah, just piggybacking these two great people really. And Carl. Oh, yeah, my name's Carl Lernhan. I'm a CrossFit affiliate owner from the UK. I've had the gym three years now and my first PT uh, was an adaptive athlete. So I coached them for the first year before they moved on to bit higher level coaching um with phil and me and my adaptive athlete so what we're trying to do now is just set up competitions in uk for adaptive athletes but make it a fair and inclusive competition floor um along the same lines as Wes, uh, leslie with the rules for Wilwad. so separating those into subdivisions uh, so it's a lot more fair, uh, fair for them uh on the competition so carl what got you into crossfit initially uh crossfit initially so when I was in the military, I did my CrossFit Level 1 when I was transitioning out of the military. Um, a lot of the training now within the Army is functional fitness-based, strength and conditioning. So it's all moving in line with CrossFit now. And CrossFit has always had that good relation between military, um, obviously the workouts with the hero wads, et cetera, as well. So it, that just got me into it. And it's a better form of training rather than just simple running, swimming, and yomping with your pack in the military. Um, yeah, I just like the way functional fitness was and the way CrossFit um, methodology obviously helped you train. So, yeah, I just got into that and just wanted to help help others. And what made you want to buy an affiliate? Like, to go from step one to step two? Well, it was, it was more like step one to step 100, really, because I had no uh, none of the skills when I opened an affiliate. I was literally, I was a like a basic level level one i was like right i've got handstand walks handstand push-ups didn't get any bar muscle ups at the time anything like that so i just opened the doors and just had to learn fast but um yeah so i was transitioning out and i wanted to do something with fitness to help people and 
actually because I like CrossFit and my business partner is still in the military as well. Um, we enjoyed training that together. So I thought, how can I help myself develop at the same time as helping others? So we just, we dove straight in the deep end and opened the affiliate straight at the start of lockdown as well for COVID. So good challenge, but it was worth it. So Phil, I've, I've done other shows with you. What got you into CrossFit? Because I know you've been in other sports as well. Uh, from a, from a psychology standpoint, what eventually led you to the CrossFit world? Um, my dear friend and business partner, James Jowsey, um, I have been my pleasure to mentor Joust for since 2006. And, um, he was, and is a wonderful CrossFit coach and he enlisted my help with some of his athletes and, um, and like they say, once you've uh, once you've tasted the fruit, there's a it's it's difficult to go back. To be honest, um, so yeah, so I owe a lot to Jousty for getting me involved in the in the CrossFit space. Now, did Jousty start with elite athletes coaching, or did you? And how did that come and Red Pill start? Well, um, yeah, Jaws was a student of mine, and we were both working uh, with clinic based. We were actually therapists uh, primarily. I was lecturing and, and had a clinic, whereas Jaws had a very successful clinic in Manchester, England. And a lot of the, he had it in a CrossFit affiliate, which helped. Um, his good friend and the owner of the CrossFit affiliate was quite a prominent uh, level one staff uh, educator and of sort of jousts his through his great results and, and obviously the the network those those guys had he his reputation grew across the uk crossfit and that ended up with then all of the sort of larger crossfit names coming to see him for injury treatment and rehabilitation and injury prevention and he built his uh, reputation off the back of, of, of that so he began under you, but then he kind of led the red pill training. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, the red pill was always and has always been a multi sort of disciplinary company. We, we don't specialize in, uh, it's, it's funny when you meet people in cycling, they don't know we do CrossFit. When you meet people in CrossFit, they don't know we do cycling. So it's quite funny to, to meet different people from the different sports, but Joust was very much the sort of, the, the sort of leader of the of the CrossFit space and and as I say coached I think Jaws has been with an athlete to the game since 2012 I think he's had 10 years of of being at the games coaching athletes at the games and um, and we've never we've never been organized enough to have a solid business model we've always just gone where where people have uh, where people have contacted us and, and the CrossFit side of, of our business has just grown exponentially over the last 10 years and continues to grow, continues to grow now. So it's almost by, by force just draws majority of our time. So Leslie, same question for you. What, what brought you into the CrossFit world initially? And then we'll get uh, some follow-ups from you. I actually started CrossFit a little over a year ago. Um, really, I started CrossFit when COVID happened. The gym that I was going to um, shut down. And um, two of the owners, actually two of the three owners of Wheelwad 
um, are good friends of mine and they were running classes online. And so it's stuff you could do in your backyard. And so I was like, well, I'll just follow their classes. And so I would take their class every day during COVID and learn these new movements with like the PVC pipe I had in my backyard. And um, I actually didn't start getting personal coaching or like in-class coaching until like November of last year. So, or the year before it's, so it's, it's pretty new to me still. Um, and then I kind of got involved in the adaptive community and it's just kind of, I was like, I should probably learn more of this CrossFit thing if I'm going to work with it. So I've been doing it for about a year now, a little over a year. So once you started, did you drink the Kool-Aid just like everybody else? Oh, full. Absolutely. To the face. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Fire hose, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was all in. Although I will say, proud of myself, I haven't gone off the deep end on the shoes. I've only, I only have one pair of trainers and they're the ones that I started with. So. Yeah, I have about 20 <laughs> shoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went way off the deep end on that route. And now I wear like the same pair every day. So it makes no sense. But um, so you were friends with two of the owners of Wheelwad. And once you got into um, CrossFit, was it a natural segue uh, to jump over and help them out with what they were doing? It was actually kind of an accident. Um, my best friend is married to one of the owners of Wheelwad, and I was a double major in college. I did marketing and sport management. And during COVID, everybody was kind of like, in these small business areas, how do we grow our business in a world that's shut down? And um, they would ask, like, hey, can you make a couple pieces of marketing material for us that we could share? Yeah, no problem. And so then it kind of got to like a, hey, we actually like would like to bring you on. And I was like, nah, don't worry. I'll just keep making things. It's no big deal. And they're like, eh, well, we'd actually like you to like bring your organizational skills into work here. And I was like, eh, okay, we'll see what it, we'll see what it's like. And um, then it was kind of like, it kind of went from there. And I'm kind of the person that when I go in, I go all in. And so then I was like, okay, where else can I help? What else can I do? How else can I make this thing bigger? And um, I'm, while I'm relatively new to CrossFit, it's kind of like running a business when you're running. I mean, it is a business, but um, the different aspects of it, as far as the admin side and the communication side, and I run my own business outside of that. So I kind of already had an idea of how to do that. Um, so it was, it was kind of a natural transition once they like actually got me in. But after that is like, like Phil said, once you're in the adaptive community, there's no leaving. Like you just can't get out of it. So our listener, Corey says, get this woman some shoes. <laughs> So you talk about your organizational skills and how that helped uh, Wheelwad tremendously. It sounds like Phil needs you as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> so you said that you get into the adaptive community and it's hard to get out. Um, you just can't leave. And what I want to ask you is, so you're, you're going from fire hose to fire hose, I'm assuming. So you go fire hose across fit to Firehose of Adaptive, and there's a lot to learn in the adaptive divisions. How quickly were you be able to get up to speed? And what is it about that community that makes you never want to leave? Um, I, it, getting up to speed is really not that difficult if you're willing to ask questions. And I sometimes ask too many questions. Um, I think that the team does a really good job of answering from a standpoint of like, making sure that you understand what they're talking about and not just assuming that you understand what they're talking about. 
Um, so the, that was that was not too terrible because I was willing to ask questions. Um, what was the other question? What is it about the community that makes oh. it so you don't want to leave? Um, they do a really good job of making you feel like family. Um, any point in time you see them at any competition, they come up, give you a hug, um, ask you how you're doing personally. Uh, it's just a very family oriented community. Um, one thing I know Phil can attest to, um, especially at the wheel walk games, but any adaptive competition that you go to, nobody leaves the floor until the last athlete's done. And they typically like go over and cheer them on throughout competition. Um, and you don't really see that very many competitions. Um, and so I think that once you're in and once you start to get to know people and once you see them over and over at different competitions, you kind of become part of their life and they become a part of yours. And um, it's like those family reunions that you have once a year that don't happen or that you like actually going to instead of like, oh, I, I have work. I got I, I can't go. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a fun family reunion that you get to go to. So I'm going to come back to Phil. We're going to go back around the horn here. Um, so Phil, you were around for the grassroots of CrossFit when all athletes cheered each other on. How much of that is what sucked you in when you went, when you came to North Carolina for that adaptive competition? A lot of it, a lot of it, Scott. What, the, the, the thing that struck me the most when, when we landed there was we talk about the elephant in the room. Um, and we, and, and they, they talk about the elephant in the room, you know, I walk in there and it sounds very strange, but you know the kids at the the kids at the airport looking at the guy who's walking down with one leg, and mum and dad say, "Don't stare." You you have you almost when you walk in for the first time, you have mum and dad on your shoulder saying, "Phil, don't stare," and your inner voice is saying, "You need to be polite." But these guys want you to stare. They want you to ask the questions. They want to share their story. They want to tell you what happened. They want to show that life can go on. Life can be great. Life can be you can synthesize some happiness from, from what's happened in your life. And it, you know, before, before, if I'd have been, I, you know, it puts you back into that four-year-old, five-year-old state. And when you see someone suffering, walking through an airport, now I'm more likely to walk over and say, Hey, what happened? Because, because like Leslie just said there, or, or is that the questions are allowed and you're allowed to talk about it. You're allowed to find that. And that builds that community. I think to answer your question is, we work really hard with our guys to say that the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is be a good person. So, so the CrossFit games or being on the floor at the CrossFit games is always secondary to being a good person or being good to people around you. Like the pressure to be good is far greater than any sporting pressure can ever be. So this is what these guys know better than anybody else because they do have things that are more important. They've experienced things that are more important. They've been through journeys that have proven that to themselves. And so there isn't the, there isn't the need to, not that they do in the CrossFit Games, but put anybody down or it is just a, listen, we've all suffered together and we're actually having the opportunity here to express ourselves through fitness and we're going to celebrate that. And it comes across incredibly. It comes across as very, very powerful. And I think Leslie talked about what it is that draws you to the adaptive division. It's that feeling. Uh, it's hard to put into words, but it really is that feeling of there's something bigger here and more important here. So let's just do some fitness together, if that makes any sense at all. 
think your microphone's on mute, Scott. Yes, it is, Phil. Yeah, I'm, with four people, I'm trying to, to mute as much as I can. Um, Corey said the entire community could learn from that. Um, and, and I agree with that. I've been in CrossFit since 2011. That grassroots feel from 11 to like 15 was, was something that drew me in where everybody cheered for each other, where it was almost like the placing on the floor came second to getting to hang out with your friends. And it sounds like that's the area where the adaptive athletes are today. And I think that that is so cool. I'm going to go to Carl. So you, you get your first adaptive athlete into your affiliate and that's how you're introduced to the adaptive world. Uh, yeah. So seeing a quite a few, uh, amputees and stuff being from the military, uh, dive into this uh later on but um so ross came to the gym and me and him served together so i knew him before his injury and after his injury and everything he's accomplished in between um so that passion was already there having that connection so that friendship connection like you have in a normal crossfit gym watching someone who's obviously uh, suffered um, that experience but can find obviously the motivation to get through it and then goals to still um, search and destroy exactly what he's doing so just helping him along the way that was where the passion was so the normal, the normal feeling you get when you've coached someone and they managed to actually do a movement for the first time, the enjoyment they get in their face, them experiencing it, but them doing it after an injury is just, is, is worth it tenfold. Yeah. So that, that's the motivation that keeps it going. So you're not, you're not only getting your first adaptive athlete, it's your buddy coming in and asking you for help. So how motivated were you to find everything you needed to find out um, to help out this friend of yours. Uh, yeah. So I was like, right, what is out there? And there was, there's no, you know, step-by-step -step guide. There's no rule book uh, with an adaptive athlete. It's all about, um, it's like test and adjust. Obviously you have to fail obviously 99 times to find that one, uh, one time to actually succeed. So as many times trying a movement, right. What's the RX standard, this movement, can we do it? Uh, if we can do it, what do we need? as an ad adaptations to do it like simple things like amputees come in they can't do a back squat because as they sit down their legs lift up especially if it's prosthetic and then they can't actually drive through the floor again so simple something simple is putting an object in front of their foot like a 20 kilogram plate something for them to brace again uh, against it and then they can stand up just finding those little adaptations to help them obviously be inclusive to the workout inclusive to the community so they can still get the same experience, the same workout as anyone else. It just takes a little bit more time. But like I say, there's no rule book. Every single athlete's different. Every injury, every illness is different. You've just literally got to take that little condor moment, step back and go, right, how can we how can we help this person? How we can make them make it as inclusive as possible for them to be involved? So as an affiliate owner and a coach, how did this make you a better coach? Because for this athlete, you have to find all the scaling options, all the modifications, and then it probably opens your mind to your general public um, athletes who need some of the same things. Uh, yep. Yeah. So um, it's obviously a lot harder with most adaptive athletes. When Lugtix have worked with um, a couple now, I've come to visit and train. But the average able-bodied person, yeah, it's just, it's opened my mind a lot easier to a lot more understanding of the human body, how it all, like, how it all connects to each other. So every movement, 
um, especially in CrossFit, it's functional, it's cognitive. So it has to obviously move through the whole body, you know, from core to extremity. So understanding how that all connects um, and what needs to happen to do that movement. So, yeah, it's just made me slow down a bit and think a bit about it a lot more just so I can help the average person, which is actually easier now as a coach, helping someone who walks in off the street rather than adaptive. So, yeah, it's, um, it has increased my skills as a coach. So it was it your buddy that moved from you to Phil to try to get better in the competition world? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was um, uh, Rossi Austin. We're going to do obviously chat about him further on down the line. But um, yeah, so I basically taught him all the movements CrossFit within a year. So just basic conditioning in the classes, a bit extra skills. Um, and then from there, he was just like, if he wants to become an elite athlete, he can't just do the normal program. He's going to have to obviously do a lot more harder in-depth work. So that's where other athletes who are coming in the gym recommended Phil because they're currently coached by Phil and Red Bull as well. And then they made that connection. And then, yeah, it all started from there. So what does that handoff look like, Phil? A guy brings you an athlete. You've never worked with adaptives before. And what was that fire hose like for you? Uh, Scott, like Carl talks himself down incredibly there, the and it was just a normal athlete turning up at my door. Like I was, I was humbly scared to take, take Ross on. And what Ross had said from the start was that <clears throat> he finds that, as I've already said, people struggle to, people struggle to say yes to coach him because they did, they were too scared of, of what he could do. Um, I don't think we should at any point undervalue what Carl and Ross did together in 12 months. <clears throat> There's not, um, that's not an adaptive athlete that turned up at my door. It was a fully skillful elite CrossFit athlete that could do everything with a, an elite mindset. Like my work's been the easy work. Like I, he could do bar muscle ups. He could do ring muscle ups. He could snatch, he could squat all of the, you know, all of the nuanced hard work, like Carl makes it sound simple. Like we just put a 20 kilo plate in front of his foot so he could do a squat. Like, it isn't just doing that. Think of the hours these guys have spent. Probably had a lot of fun. Probably made some. Probably made a friendship for life by doing it. So I'm not saying it was all hard work, but but they've put some serious time and effort into. You know, I can pretty much write uh, uh, Ross four by eight back squat into six ring muscle ups, into bar muscle ups, into chest to bar, into pistols, and he just does it. Like I think that was the biggest shock for me in the adaptive community is I think I'd always thought selfishly that adaptive meant that I had to adapt to them. It, it doesn't, it means they adapt to whatever you give them. And that's the, the big distinction of what adaptive actually means is it doesn't mean that we as normal able-bodied people or coaches or as uh, program writers or as competition writers that we adapt anything. We don't have to do anything for them. They are masters at figuring it out themselves and geniuses at, at making stuff work. And that's what Carl and, and Ross did for the first year. Like it, like I say, I got a fully functioning, wonderfully, <laughs> wonderful athlete at my door. Um, so the work those two guys did together in what is a normal affiliate with, with normal coaching is, is incredible, to be honest, Scott. It's a wonderful achievement. Yeah, my first experience with the adaptive community was I interviewed Casey Acree. And when he told me with one arm he was doing wall walks, it it like blew me away, right? Because because I'm thinking like we have to do all this stuff for them. And he wanted to prove you don't have to do anything except for stack some plates, 
so that I can, I can use that as, as I'm walking back to the wall uh, to push off of. And it blew me away. It, and I loved how you put that. It's not that they are, that we have to adapt to them. They want to adapt to their environment and thrive. Um, and so I loved how you put that because that's how I felt when I talked to Casey that first time. So I want to kind of move into um, the adaptive world itself. And that is we have, I, th I think in CrossFit, and I think we want it's different. And that's what I need clarification on. So I'm going to start with Leslie. And that is divisions. Like I think one has 17, one has more. Can you break that down for me? Sure. So right now, I believe that CrossFit has eight divisions. Um, and then Wheelwad has, we actually have, how many do we have? We have a lot. Um, <laughs> we break it down a little bit further because we can. Um, right now, CrossFit has upper, they have lower, they have seated. I think their new term is multi-extremity. Um, so they, they kind of like, have and credit to them they kind of have like clumps right now because they just don't have the capacity to break it down further whereas with wheelwad we have upper one point we have upper two point we have lower one point lower two point what that means is they have like an upper one point has one point of contact which means they literally only have one arm that they can use versus a two point who means which means they technically have one arm that's fully functioning and they can use their residual limb for whatever the movement is as well. So we break it down even further. So I think this year we have, I want to say 13 divisions. Um, we just rolled out two new divisions this year. Um, we included in the lower division, we have lower AK, which is above knee amputee or lower BK, which is below knee. And then we have what's called um, lower minor. So that's um, some sort of leg impairment, um, but that might not be an amputee. And then we also rolled out another, a third neurological division as well. Um, so as, as we get more athletes and as um, Carl put earlier, every adaptation or every athlete is different and every impairment is different. And it's, there's just such a huge range of differences in all of our athletes. Um, as we grow, we continue to add more divisions because we're capable of manning those divisions, if that makes sense. Um, whereas right now, CrossFit, they have the elite division, they have the team division, they have the age divisions, they have, they just have so much on their plate right now that I don't think that they can bring on as many split divisions as we are. I, I know that that's a goal for them. Um, but because this is all we specialize and focus on, we're able to add more to that. Does that make sense? It, it makes total sense. So as an organization who really represents the adaptive community do you get frustrated with what crossfit's doing or do you completely understand and appreciate the effort uh personally i i'm glad to see that they're trying of course like you want everybody to be able to be involved um i think that they're doing a great job at doing what they can do I think that, um, of course, if it were up to me, there would be some tweaks and changes that I would implement, but it's not my business. Um, so, which is fortunate for me to be able to work for Wheelwad, where we do have a little bit more leverage and we do have a little bit more, um, I guess, 
a little less red tape that we can cut through um, because we kind of just make the decisions how we want to. But it's cool to see that people are getting more athletes involved. Um, it's cool to see that they have another platform that they can compete on. Um, I'd love to see them continue to grow that. Um, I know it's hard because like we mentioned a couple of times, there's so many athletes with so many different adaptations um, that I think they're doing as much as they can do right now. And I think hopefully they'll continue to grow that for sure. And uh, this is for Carl. Carl, um, in in Europe, you're trying to do something similar to Wheelwad or have already accomplished something in that vein. And I'm only saying that because in our text string, I know you've asked Leslie for some of the descriptions of different things. Are you trying to make a Wheelwad Europe or is it a different name? Can you explain that to me? Um, yeah, <clears throat> we're just start, trying to start our own obviously, competition within UK. But we are basically working parallel uh, with Wheelwad on the rules because a lot of the athletes, we listen to them, a lot of the feedback from those who compete, who have competed in UK and across the pond in USA um, about their feedback. And they're like, and they was like, oh, we wish CrossFit would possibly do it more like Wheelwad. There's a lot more subdivisions. They understand it a bit better. So instead of obviously trying to make our own rules, we're following Wheelwad. So when... Uh, they do do the competition to UK and then they go across to America, then it's like a copy paste format. They're going to understand the rules. It's not going to be anything different. If everyone's singing off the same song sheet, it's going to be a lot easier for continuity, understanding it across the water. So that's all we've done. We've copied Wheelwad. I think, I think there's 22 categories in total Wheelwad and we've got 16 for our upcoming competition. So we haven't got as far as them because obviously we just can't facilitate it at the moment, but just the understanding that <clears throat> changes Change doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take a long, long period of time. But just understand that it isn't just upper lower. It's the one point, two point contact. Seated has three subdivisions. Neuro has three subdivisions. Just understanding the movements just to make them fair. But yeah, we're, we're definitely um, taking a leaf out of Wheelwad's book and just trying to replicate the same rules uh, this side. So this is going to be for all of you, but I'm going to start with Carl. Um, one, of the, one of the issues that CrossFit brings up is the floor changes for the adaptive division at the games is a huge lift for them. And do, going to these competitions, seeing what that is, do you understand what they're saying? And how? what is that undertaking like? And I'm going to go around to everyone, but start with Carl. Yeah, so the floor, floor changes. So we're working with uh, the biggest UK CrossFit competition, um, so it's Graft, so Battle for Middle Ground. Um, they're putting their first adaptive lanes in in March Mayhem on the 1st or 2nd of April. And just putting the adaptive divisions in the middle, yeah, a lot of floor changes happening there, so a lot of kit and equipment as well. The time is a lot different, um, and each category is different, so they have different weights, different heights to obviously uh, squat to, and that's so it's a lot more time needed. And there is a lot of pressure on the judges and the equipment crew as well. So to make it flow nicely, you've just got, to, you've just got to slow it down a bit. So I can see what CrossFit are doing. It's a lot more uptake to actually get all those categories to the games. But like I say, change doesn't happen overnight. We just have to do a little bit at a time and just obviously increase it. Make sure they get a successful competition, make it a bit, bit more and bit more. But like I say, as long as they, they understand there is a need for it, a need for change. And you can see that they're trying their best to do it um, each year, which is good, which is, just shows they're moving in the right direction. So Phil coaching both in the able body division and seeing what happened at the adaptive competition you went to here in North Carolina. 
Can you see the difference in how long it takes to change the floor? Yeah, yeah, I can. And I, I think also, I think what Carl talked about, the judging standards, I think that's, that's the thing that surprised me the most and what's the hardest is, is you've got two guys with one leg asking them to get below parallel. Is that possible? And how does, how does that look like? It's, it's qualified judges there. That I, for me, that's out. I mean, the floor changes is a logistical thing, which is obviously hard to do. But, but the judging at Willwood, um, as somebody who's used to standing in a room of elite coaches watching pro chester bars or pull-ups, and if the chin is like one millimetre under, everyone's screaming, no rep, sort it out, don't do it. You know, like wanting that perfection, which, the, which I think the games do wonderfully. Um, if you asked me to say, Phil, how would you judge Will Wad? I, I would struggle. I would think. I think we would all struggle. I think the job they do judging and having the judges, the education there of you need to understand the individual ailment to understand what's capable in that category if you want to have a competition. Um, and with how black and white CrossFit tend to to do things, which is necessary for sporting for sporting, for, for all competition, it needs to be a rule book, right? Um, for me, I see that as the, the hardest the hardest challenge. It took me a, a good two days at Willwad to go, is that fair, is that not fair? Like morality of me was really sitting there going, hey, either it's a rep or it's a no rep. That's where I come from. Either they made parallel or they didn't make parallel. But, but, but Ross is half a foot, right? And he has one leg and... And he can't make parallel without falling over. So should he not be allowed to compete, or should he score zero for that workout, or should we accept, should we accept ninety three degrees instead of instead of eighty nine degrees? I think that was where where I would say that from for me from the outside the challenges lied was in the judging side of things and and how you get that right. I I don't think I've got the answer for that. I'm sorry. Well, and I think you know coming from the judging world before I was a podcaster you know, you're told to talk to your athlete and find out if they have limited, limited movement. And that's in the able body division, right? So in the elite able body division, we're making exceptions for people who have limited movement. And now you have a whole community that by definition have limited movement. Um, some would argue maybe they don't, but I understand what you're saying and how that judging can change almost on a case by case basis. Yeah, it's 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 messy, Scott. It's it's messy in uh, in in a positive way it's messy because they're all out on the floor, right? They're all there doing it. So it's a it's a positive problem because you have athletes on the floor. But um, but watching that you guys at Willwood, one of the ones that stands out for me was the the pistol workout. I thought it was a brave workout, a really brave workout to say right we're going to give pistols to to amputees and um, and you have some people who physically can't make parallel, and then you have one guy, Tyler, who who actually can do a full pistol on one leg, and it and it hurts him, and it, he gets down there. Um, and then they decided they were going to be weighted pistols, which again I, th I think was brilliant. You know, it's it it a great it was a great workout. But but how you how you at the end you come off that workout and say you've got one guy who's achieving full movement standard, the only one in the actual floor who achieved full movement standard coming last. Like the the morality of that, but 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 I'm the only one who cares. 
the rest of them just had a great like like we talked about before the rest of them were like well, we, we're competing we're using our bodies where we're out on the floor having a, a wonderful time and I'm the only one in the in the crowd having to check myself because I'm the only one there that, that cares about that um tell me if I'm wrong there Leslie um but but that that's how it felt no, I think you're right. I, so, I do think that one of the other things I'll mention really quick as far as judging goes is what you find in the adaptive community is a lot of people are scared to no rep an adaptive athlete because it's like, oh, but they're trying, but they're doing the best that they can. It's like, but that's not standard. And standard says they have to do this. And if they can't hit standard, then it's a no rep. And one of the things that we run into is before briefing judges or when we brief our judges, we're like, hey, a no rep's a no rep. These athletes are athletes just like every other athlete. If you're going to no rep an elite athlete, you're going to no rep these guys because these guys are elite athletes. And so like Phil said, I think judging was definitely one of the harder parts. And like Carl said, logistics for the floor are, are difficult. It's a lot of moving pieces. If you're, if you've got a floor layout that makes sense and you can track each individual athlete, that's what we're finding the more and more we do these is we'll make a diagram of the floor and for every heat with every division, with every athlete, we'll put their name, we'll put what we need for them. And then it's just a matter of checking and making sure that's out on the floor. That's logistics and it's fun and it's a nightmare and it's great. But I do think of all of the things, the hardest part is, is in fact the judging and making sure that you hold all these people to these standards that some of them are like, how in the world? There's no way. But then they find a way to do it and um, making sure that the judges feel confident enough to no rep these athletes like they would any other athlete. So our listener, Corey, again. He has two good legs and pistols hurt him too. Um, I think that sentiment could be said across the board. Um, and then he said, the standard is the standard. And I love that. And you're taught that as a judge at the highest level, uh, whether it's elite or masters or whatever, the standard is the standard and it's either a rep or it's not a rep. So, so Leslie, the logistics of holding a competition with 13 divisions and all the different needs that need to go out on the floor and back, how much you say you're graded organization, how much of that is mapped out ahead of time and in part of the planning process? Well, I, first I have to say we have a really solid team um, between Shannon Ogar, Kevin Carlson, the guys who own it, Kevin Stoudy and Johnny, um, everybody's really good at the lane that they're in. And one of the things that I've helped with from the beginning is the logistics. And um, we, like I said, we kind of draw a diagram ahead of time after we know the workout. Um, we kind of assign each athlete their lane. And because we know most of the athletes as well as we do, we kind of know what what their workout is going to require um, based off their division. And so from that, um, we're able to design these diagrams. And usually we have a game plan and we do our game plan. And then the night before with the workout, we're sitting at the table and we're redoing all the diagrams and we're redrawing and rewriting and making sure their weights are right. And somewhere inevitably I messed up something and um, either Kevin Carlson fixes it or Mark from Equip Products fixes it. And then we're good to go. And usually day of, usually and phil can attest to this or maybe t tell me i'm wrong and i'm crazy but usually day of it's pretty smooth um usually there's not too many hiccups that happen we do try and make sure um everybody has a specific job during competition like um i'll check these lanes so and so will check these lanes or i'll check this piece of equipment you check this piece of equipment you make sure that everybody's got this and i'll make sure everybody's got this so um 
I definitely think going into it, we try and be as organized as possible with the understanding that inevitably something's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. We're going to have to change the workout last minute, or we didn't account for this, or um, there's, there's always something like with any event, there's always something. And we try and mitigate that from the beginning, but um, try and like with every adapt, with every adaptive athlete, you, you adapt and you go forward. And um, that's kind of what we try and do during competition. I don't know if it's always as smooth as I think it is, but <laughs> we'll see. So we are 40 minutes into this podcast and I want to get to why we're here. Um, we got to know everybody and this whole thing started with a conversation between Phil and I. So I'm going to start with him, but I want to, I want to preface it by saying, I wanted to look at our company and be the most diverse media company in CrossFit. And with that, we recently added a teen division um, that is run by Stephanie Price. And she is doing, I think she's on episode three or four now of her Copper Hopper. And it is flourishing uh, because there's nothing like that in the sport for them, for those teen athletes who are giving everything they had. I was telling Phil about my negotiations with Stephanie. And he said, we need to do this for adaptive. So I was all in on that. Let's be the most diverse media company and let's bring on a team to run an adaptive division of Clydesdale media. And what is the vision and what are you trying to accomplish by producing a show for adaptive athletes? And I'm going to start with Phil. I'm just going to be really selfish here, Scott, and say there are some incredible stories. And for me, it's a wonderful excuse to ask, ask some of those questions I talked about at the start of the show. <clears throat> like there's some, I'm someone who's studied happiness my entire life. And um, I walked into a room of people with a thousand of excuses to be unhappy. And I didn't find an unhappy soul in the whole building. And I really want to know why. I think if I can unlock that for myself, it's therapy. But for anybody listening, it will also be some uh, incredible opportunities to learn from from people who I've got this phrase at the moment of a real life influencer. So rather than uh, influencer who thinks they're an influencer, actually people who should be influencing people. And you're not going to find any better influencers than this group of people. So, Carl, what made you jump into this and what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, as I mentioned before, just um, <clears throat> just a fair standard for everyone. And plus, with the adaptive athletes, I think they should be more at the forefront of uh, CrossFit rather than during a competition, there's a separate floor where they're competing. But at the same time, there could be more elite, able-bodied athletes competing on different floor. And a lot of the crowd seem to go towards the elite athletes rather than the people who've put just as much hard work in, been through that traumatic experience, or whether it's from birth or injury, illness, but then obviously coming out at the front of it just giving them the correct exposure to show what the amazing achievements they're doing. Just, just bring the, bring the spotlight onto them a bit more. Just so you can, everyone, the world can see exactly what they're doing, all the good work. And Leslie, what about you? Uh, like with Phil, I know most of the stories, so I love hearing the stories over. Um, I love, I, I think this is a really unique opportunity for them to tell their side. Um, like Carl said, whether it be injury or they were born with it, um, you, you always kind of like, at least for me now, because I've been a part of this community for so long, I always look and I'm like, oh, 
AK, BK, or whatever that looks like. And I always wonder, like, I, I wonder what happened. And sometimes I ask, sometimes I don't. And um, I think this is a really, really cool opportunity for them to be able to, like Carl said, get that, get that little bit of limelight that they've deserved, that they deserve and they've earned just as much as everybody else and um, give them the opportunity to be that elite athlete that they actually are. And with all the same opportunities as, as the able-bodied athletes. Yeah. I think the drum that I've been beating for the last six, probably longer than that, my team would tell you way longer is that I love CrossFit. CrossFit saved my life. My story is I started at 500 pounds and I went to CrossFit and got my life back and probably added 50 years to my life. These people bust their ass every day. And the bandwidth that CrossFit has is that they can only really show the top five athletes in the world. There are so many amazing athletes that don't get their due for the work that they put in. And that includes the adaptive athletes. When you go to Instagram and you see the stuff that they're accomplishing, it is so inspiring. And I can't believe that there's not a place for them to highlight those achievements and to not only see the amazing feat, but the story behind it and how they got to that place. Because for every one armed 200 plus clean there, how many failures were along the way that they had to jump over that hurdle or get through to get to that point. And that's the stuff I love to hear. So I, my team and I always say we have staff meetings live on the air. Um, and that this is going to kind of be that. So what are your plans for the next few weeks, months? How often are you going to put out a podcast? How, what are, what stories do you have lined up? Um, and I'm going to, if someone wants to raise their hand of who goes first, I will give them the mic. All right, Phil, you're up first. I've always been told I have to volunteer. You know, if you ever know that, Carl, you'll know that from the army. If anyone says, uh, need a volunteer, you have to put your hand up. So that was why, um, we have had a lovely talk on Monday and we have lined up, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, uh, 10 different athletes. Um, we are planning on hearing their stories. Um, we are we are going to talk first and foremost about how Real World was founded um, and probe those guys about why and their motivations and what what they you know, what they set Wilwood up for, its ambitions, its history. Um, and then we're going to go from there into athletes um, and hearing these athlete stories and, and telling us how they overcame and their journeys from hospital beds to fitness, from comas to fitness, from sickness to fitness, from growing up at school, how it was at school to be, to be sorry to say, different and how their coping strategies were and... And we're going to ask them some of uh, ask some questions, which I hope we can all learn from. So that's the plan. Um, commitment to how many times, how many times a week or a month? I I will leave that with Leslie to or Carl to to uh, come up with that. Well, all right, Carl, you put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, yeah, well, the upcoming episodes. I think the first one is going to be on 
Rossi Austin and myself. Obviously, a bit more information on obviously how we met and worked together and how he's developed from there because he had an, uh, another elite fitness background before CrossFit. So we'll bring that into it and how he changed across from, from that sport to CrossFit. And then we'll be linking with other uh, veterans across the pond as well, uh, military veterans with their injuries. Um, I'm talking across from myself and Ross. And then we're going to, the plan is to go back and forth uh, from US to UK, male and female athletes. Obviously, there are different situations, how they vary across the pond. And I think uh, the, all them athletes been, uh, a lot of them have been lined up by Leslie as well, because her connections with Willwood. Any, any, so Leslie, any plans on going outside the UK and the US eventually? Because I know my podcast, just so you know, we started very locally and it kept mm -hmm. kind of growing out. And, and now we're interviewing people from all over the world, as long as they can speak English. Uh, sure. I, you know, cause I don't, I am unilingual. Uh, I mean, we, I, I think, I mean, Carl and Phil, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, we certainly would be, we would love to interview athletes from all over the place. Um, I know we have some athletes in Costa Rica. I know we've got some in Australia. I know there's some in Brazil. They're, they're kind of all over the place. And, um, we kind of, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew initially. We kind of want to, I guess, see how this goes and if there's any interest in hearing these stories and what that looks like. But we have a plethora of athletes to choose from. We thought it might be cool to start um, with US and UK because that's where the whole team is from between the two of us. Um, but yeah, I I don't I don't imagine that they would say no to the opportunity to tell their story. So I know that I have some people that can translate if we do decide to have some Spanish speaking athletes on here. Um, we actually, there are a good chunk of athletes in the U, in the U.S. side who are bilingual and can speak Spanish. Actually, some of them speak a couple languages. But um, how that would work on a podcast, I'm not 100% sure because this is my first time on a podcast. So we can figure that out as we go. But yeah, I think I think the plan would be to have as many athletes from all over as we could, for sure. And you three will be the team bringing the episodes? Awesome. So, um, I guess we've got, we've got some training to do on how to use the, the system. Um, so that should be fun. We need to get that set up quickly. Um, I want to thank you all for jumping on. This has been awesome. It's been a great learning experience for me and I can't wait, uh, for your first episode to come out, uh, and to see what's going on. And I love the aspect I'm, and I'm just riffing here, but Carl, like your military background and what you've seen and your friends and what they've experienced is going to bring one thing. And then you have all these athletes that Leslie, you've worked with and Phil, your newness to the whole thing. I think it's a great blend of what you guys are going to bring to this podcast. And I can't wait to see where you guys go. So I want to thank you all for jumping on. This has been awesome and make sure you stay tuned. Do we, do we have a name for the podcast? Nope, not yet. Nope. <laughs> we are taking suggestions. We'll just throw that out there. <laughs> so once we get a name, um, I will, I will promote that all over our socials um, and through our round tables um, so that we can get that name out there as much as possible uh, before your first episode and um and guys this has been awesome can't wait thank you thanks Scott.
Thanks for having us. And we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Media Podcast. (laughs) 